It was capitalism all along, baby. Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch. <laughs> this is the show where I do weird things and Aviv makes weird faces. Yep. Good yep. night, everyone. <laughs> we are here today. It's just us. <laughs> it's really early. I don't know. I'm sorry. This is the, I hope you take this out. Best. No, it's <laughs> I really in. hope you take this out. This is one of the best intros you've ever done. Um, I'm Lindsay Tucker. I am a journalist and music podcaster, and I'm here today with Aviv Rubenstein. Aviv, hi. Hello. Yes, it is I, Aviv Rubenstein. Aviv has a donut. I had a donut. Now it's in my tummy. He has a donut in his tummy. He has a donut in his tummy. Uh, how are you this week, Lindsay? Um, I've only considered running away and faking my own death about four times so oh that's that's low for you low pretty low mm-hmm. i'm at like you? i'm at like three <laughs> okay well we have two more days to go two more two more days to go <laughs> have plenty of time to catch up um so what are we talking about this week Lindsay? this week we are talking about a song that was requested yeah by listener request listener amanda kramers who yes amanda kramers who also wrote in <laughs> from um, the corrections department. So yes, this is from the corrections department uh, from Amanda Kramer's on Twitter at lyrics for lunch. It's awesome that you're going to cover right near right now next week. Since you're evidently going to be saying my name on air, I may as well tell you Kramer's is pronounced Kramer's like Seinfeld's neighbor. I don't know why it's not even my name anymore. So Amanda, I just want to say well welcome to our show yeah where we (laughs) (laughs) if we're not pronouncing your name wrong you're probably not on our show uh and we're we got a a doozy of some names this week for sure great (laughs) um we also have heard from our good friend matt at pick a disc who says that the last action hero is so underrated and there's a line that charles dance says in the movie which is if god was a villain he'd be me and Matt says, that might be my favorite line in cinema, but favorite with a U because he's British. So he must like the Beatles. Yeah. I mean, it's the only <laughs> band to ever come out of, out of England. Obviously. Um, in, in, including today's band. <laughs> so we're talking about right here, right now is the listener request. So Lindsay. <laughs> yes. What was that? No fair. What do you know about this song? <laughs> i i knew i knew as much as you did uh, maybe even less um listeners i just quickly told aviv before the show that i have no absolutely nothing that normally if i don't even know who sings it i'll look it up so i have at least something to contribute to the opening conversation this week i did not do that i have absolutely no idea 
I thought the song came out in the 80s, but I just Googled it, and that is incorrect. That's so incorrect. I'm just going to let Aviv take it from here. So right here, right now, is a 1990 song by Jesus Jones. But barely even 90s, eh? Barely even na- Oh, hmm. So we're getting ahead of ourselves in the story, aren't we here, Lindsay? <laughs> Uh, right. 1990 song from a band called Jesus Jones. Never heard of them. I, well, we're, we'll talk about them. Okay, so great. before we really get into it, let's listen to the song. Oh, going right in. Go, we're going to go right in because, well, you'll find out later why. There's some confusion on my part. Okay. Exciting. Yes. Right here, right now. That's correct. Watching the stars. Nope. Fade out of history. Close enough. Yeah, in like uh, my so-called life sort of thing. Exactly. Not really a fan of the what's happening with his hat. The 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 biker hat. Flipped up or whatever is that flipped up? Yeah, it's like a cyclist hat. So what are you seeing? What are you? What's going on? Um, just a bunch of like. Tweakers on stage. Yeah, a bunch of tweakers. Oh, behind um, them, I wasn't even watching. It looks like we got some Ronald Reagan, some war shots. Yeah, sure, sure. So it's got a political bent right now. Maybe. It's a revolution song. We'll see. Looks like we had an HW, maybe. It went by too fast. Too fast. His only job is to just like bop around. Yeah, slap, slam dance.
So right off the bat, I'm a little surprised at their look because I've heard this song before, right? Mm-hmm. On the radio. I don't know if I've ever heard it all the way through, but I definitely have heard it. And it seemed like more of an electro song. And these guys are like dressed like they're proto kind of grungy. It's very weird. The styling is is not what I expected. Yeah, they look like skateboarders. Yeah. They, wow. Look at you. <laughs> so Jesus Jones formed in 1988, and they incorporated elements of electronic music, such as house and techno, into like an indie rock format. Um, and there were some other groups at the time that did this too. The Shaman, Pop Will Eat Itself, and EMF. EMF was the, their like sister band or whatever. What? Uh, but no, you, not whatever. What's a sister band? Were they like they would they, like they came up together, like okay. Oasis and Blur before they started to fucking hate each other. They were like sister bands, like me and my sister. Right, except for in <laughs> bands. Um. So, uh, Jesus Jones was were. It's weird. Uh, Jesus Jones were the leading purveyor of this. I think sound. band is singular, grammatically. Uh, the Rolling Stones is a good band. The Rolling yes. Stones are a good band. Yes, it's singular. Okay, Jesus Jones was one of the was the leading purveyor of this type of music. It's like alternative rock slash dance, and they formed in 1988 while on holiday in Spain. So this dude Mike Edwards, who's the singer of the band, and Al Doherty, who is I think the drummer decided to leave the band that they were in at the time and form their own band. And the name of the band came about when they realized that they were three Joneses sitting on a beach in Spain, surrounded by people named Jesus. Ha! I think it's Jesus. Right. I don't know if you pronounce the band Jesus Jones. (laughs) That would be amazing. Jesus Jones. (laughs) So back in London, they advertised their music in like the newspaper looking for a guitarist. And this dude, Jerry DeBorg, joined the band. And, uh, and the, the, the guy that they're missing, the keyboardist, the guy who just like jumps around and slam dances, his name is Ian Baker. And they met, Mike Edwards met him in a pub in North London because they just had like a chat about recognizing each other as skateboarders due to their shoes. They were all. They were both wearing skateboarder shoes, and Which so it's like, I don't know. I don't think they were Vans. I couldn't. I couldn't find the the brand of shoes. Airwalk. Yeah, but he's like, oh, you, oh, my, you a skateboarder? I'm a skateboarder. Oh, you can you barely play the keyboard and <laughs> jump around? Join the band. Jump around. <laughs> so Mike asked Ian Baker to join the band as the keyboardist, and that was Jesus Jones. Right. That's the the whole lineup. So they their debut album was called Liquidizer. It's from 1989. And their like fan favorite single is called Info Frico. Let's take a little listen to Info Frico. I 
I can't tell whether I've just heard this before or is it from my research, but this sounds familiar. Yeah, the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, 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 the Beatles. <laughs> Who's going to write in Victoria and be like, shut up about the fucking Beatles? <laughs> yeah. I also cannot tell if I've heard the song. This to me sounds like early, like even like Rob Zombie or some like industrial, like Nine Inch Nails or something industrial. So it's a little different. The song we're talking about today, right here, right now, is from Jesus Jones' second album, Doubt. Uh, it was released as the album's second single on September 24th, 1990. And it, that was a, about four months before the release of the album. So the song came out in 1990. The album came out in 1991. And it spent nine non-consecutive weeks on the UK singles charts, peaking at number 31. So not very good. I mean, it's okay. But in the US... It peaked it was at number one. It was a top 10 hit, right? It topped the Billboard modern rock tracks and it reached number two in the billboard hot 100 so you know pretty good um and the single sold over over one million copies it won a bmi award and it was the most played song on college radio in 1991 1991 yeah because the album came out in 1991 got it so so it had like a kind of a long tail do you what do you think that what do we think the song is about? You said you said some Ronald Reagan's in there. Do you want to take a look at the lyrics now? Sure. What I remember from this just listening to it right now is watching the world wake up from history, right? And mm-hmm. he, I've been alive, I was waiting. Yeah, let's let's do a read. Let's okay. do it. Let's do a yeah, dramatic let's read. Let's just actually read the real lyrics. Mm-hmm. Would you like to start? A woman on the radio talks about revolution. When it's already passed her by, Bob Dylan didn't have this to sing about. You know it feels good to be alive. I was alive, and I waited, waited. I was alive, and I waited for this. Right here, right now. There is no other place I want to be. Right here, right now, watching the world wake up from history. I saw the decade in... Uh, it's actually end. This is a typo. I saw the decade end when it seemed the world could change at the blink of an eye. And if anything, then there's your sign of the times. I was alive and I waited, waited. I was alive and I waited for this right here, right now. I was alive and I waited, waited. I was alive and I waited for this (laughs) right here, right now. There is no other place I want to be. Right here, right now, watching the world wake up from history. Wow. Wonder what he yeah. thinks now. So yeah, what do, what do, what do we think the song is about? So you're saying there's some politics involved. He seemed to think things are looking up. So Cut. it's nineteen ninety one. No, it's not. It's not. It's nineteen ninety. It's nineteen ninety. <laughs> So I think we had some wars going on. We were involved in. Who's we? The U.S. Oh, he's British. 
Well, he was showing American politics, right? He sure was. Oh my God, what's the, what is the conflict called? Where that's Three Kings is about that we were involved Star, in in the nineties. Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. You know the thing. Hmm. <laughs> the Gulf War. Yeah. Right. That was nineteen ninety, sure. wasn't it? I don't know. Let's look that up. Let's look that up. <laughs> Gulf that War. I don't know. August twenty, August second, nineteen ninety, to February twenty eighth, nineteen ninety one. Boom! Nailed it. I knew something. Okay, but <laughs> this song came out September twenty fourth, nineteen ninety. So probably was recorded before the Gulf War started. <laughs> well, then I don't fucking know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is from the BBC. <laughs> it was a death on March tenth, nineteen eighty five, that opened the door to domestic reform and to dramatic change in the political map of Europe. Konstantin Chernenko, who is the 73-year-old conservative communist leader of the Soviet Union, died. And the number two man in the Soviet hierarchy, Mikhail Gorbachev, promptly convened a meeting of the Politburo, the Communist Party's ruling body. Okay. Some of those present would have liked to stop the further rise of Gorbachev, who at the age of 54, was the youngest member of the top leadership team, but they didn't have a plausible alternative candidate. So by the afternoon of March 11th, Gorbachev had been unanimously elected by the Central Committee as the General Secretary of the Communist Party and thus the leader of the world's second superpower, the USSR. A combination of the difficulties the Soviet Union faced and the authority of the General Secretaryship enabled Mr. Gorbachev to launch Perestroika, which is, it translates to like reconstruction, which became a synonym for increasingly radical political innovation. The new Soviet leader was already more of a reformer than his Politburo colleagues realized in his, in power, his policies became bolder and more far reaching. He had an unusually open mind for a communist politician. The more, however, Mr. Gorbachev reformed the Soviet system, the more he undercut the traditional authority of the party leader, his own power base, while the new tolerance brought countless long-suppressed problems, including nationalist discontent, to the surface of political life. So much so that by 1990, the continuing existence of the Soviet Union was in jeopardy. Okay, so give us the cliff notes. This guy gets... Elected as a communist leader, he's elected is is kind of a is kind of a, a rough way to say it, but yes. <laughs> and he's the he's number two. The number one change. dies. Yeah, so he's making some progressive change. They are. This is this is going to be a lot about history. Watching the world wake up, comma from. So, his two big policies were Glasnost and Perestroika. Perestroika. Glasnost means tr- transparency. So the Soviet pol- the Soviet policy under basically all communist Russia before this was like not like no transparency whatsoever. And so Gorbachev's like, "Ah, well we will have open discussion of political and social issues and it began the democratization of the Soviet Union. Ultimately, um this led to fundamental changes in the political structure because the power of the communist party was reduced and multi-candidate elections took place right so like before this for almost 70 years or so 
there was there were one one candidate elections, which is why like Gorbachev wasn't exactly elected. Glasnost also permitted criticism of government officials, which wasn't allowed before, and allowed the media freer dissemination of news and information. Great. Perestroika is reconstructing or restruct re- reconstruction or restructuring, and it also was introduced by Gorbachev in the mid eighties. And it was to restructure the Soviet economic and political policy, seeking to bring the Soviet Union up to par with capitalist countries like Germany, Japan, and the United States. Gorbachev decentralized economic controls from the main government. He encouraged enterprises to become self-financing. The Economic Bureau, fearing loss of power and privilege, obstructed much of the program. However, uh, Gorbachev also proposed reducing the direct involvement of the Communist Party's leadership in the country's governance. Governance, so he like wanted to decentralize the government as well, and uh, he increased the local government's authority. And in '88, a new parliament, the Soviet Congress of the People's Deputies, was created. So similar congresses were established in each Soviet republic as well. So like the kind of the satellite countries, mm-hmm. and for the first time, elections to those bodies presented voters with an actual choice of candidates, including non-communists, though Mm. the Communist Party continued to dominate. Okay. So these little skateboarders are like, woohoo, no more communism? Yeah. Wow, that's pretty (laughs) lame. And they're like showing all of these like democratic leaders like, Uh yeah. Yep. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) I hate it. That's going to get worse for you. (laughs) So this is from The Guardian. This is from Mike Edwards, who's the singer and songwriter of Jesus Jones slash the song. He says, at the end of 1989, I was listening to Simple Minds cover of a Prince song called Sign of the Times, which lamented the concerns of the era from AIDS to urban poverty to drug addiction. And on TV, there was... On TV, there is coverage of the Berlin Wall coming down and all these people celebrating. I never thought I'd see such a thing in my lifetime. And I wanted to write a sort of update but positive version of Sign of the Times to reflect what was happening. So let's listen to the Simple Minds version of Prince's Sign of the Times. So simple so simple minds, do you know what they also said? Their like big famous song is Don't You Forget About Me from the Breakfast Club. Don't you Which was also not written by them. I don't know if they have a song that was a hit that was ever written by them, but okay. Weirdly they all kind of look like Bono except for the lead man who looks like Joe Strummer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like this. What's wrong? Okay, so we can stop. There's like part. a child crying. Oh yeah, it's it's not great. So fun fact, Prince hated this version of the song i can imagine it's trash prince famously doesn't love people covering his music though so here's the prince original (laughs) 
Francis skinny man died of a big disease with a little name. By chance his girlfriend came across a needle and soon she did the same. So it's largely the same. <laughs> yeah. It's good though. I, I like it better than the simple I mind also thing. like it better. What I don't like are these lyrics. So let's 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 do a lyrics real quick of this just to give you some comparison. So in France a skinny man died of a big disease with a little name. By chance his girlfriend came across a needle and soon she did the same. At home there's just, there are 17-year-old boys and their idea of fun is being in a gang called the Disciples, high on crack and toting a machine gun. So, he's talking about very specific things that are plaguing specifically like american cities at the time um but this is in france right in in france people are dying of aids and at home in minneapolis people are in the black disciples um hurricane annie a rocket ship explodes and everyone still wants to fly baby make a speech star wars fly so he's talking about you know the Challenger exploding and the Star Wars program and Buddy Holly Ben Hur Space Monkey Mafia. Yep. Yeah, this is this is just Prince doing. We didn't start the fire, but I guess I think that this is like no, we started the fire. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so Jesus Jones is like, oh, that's sign of the times. Too bleak. We want to write something happier. So back to Mike Edwards and the Guardian. For the original, this is like him talking. For the original instrument demo version of Right Here, Right Now, I sampled the Prince song, Sign of the Time, and I had a two-bar loop from it run all the way through, all the way throughout as my drum and bass track. And I played some guitar chords over it, and I made a guitar solo out of lots of Jimi Hendrix samples, and I mashed it all together because I wanted to be on a record with Jimi Hendrix. Mm. So, so he brings this song that's like sampling from Prince, sampling from Jimi Hendrix, and like him singing to his producer, Martin Phillips. And Martin Phillips is like, absolutely the fuck not. (laughs) Because Martin Phillips had just been sued by an opera singer that he sampled without her permission. Oh, shit. So Martin Phillips had sampled an opera singer on a track by The Beloved, and apparently the singer had walked into a greengrocer's and hurt herself on someone else's record, and Martin was badly stung for it financially. Good for her. And so this is Mike. As soon as he heard our Prince and Hendrix samples, he said, you're not using those. And so we had to rebuild the track from top to bottom. The lyrics right here, right now. There's no other place I want to be right here, right now, watching the world wake up from history. We were just something to hang the tune on. Um, so those were previously not there. I think that they were they were there, but they weren't like, you know, just like sing gibberish, right? sort of thing except it's not it's literally saying the message of the song yeah so he so he was like i don't know he's downplaying it though he's like it was just something to hang the tune on like it's not that deep but then he goes on to say a lot of this is like deep shit right yeah ian baker the keyboardist who can't play keyboards says the track was originally called nelson after prince rogers nelson 
We thought that the Simple Minds version of Sign of the Times was awful, so we went back to his original, but right here, right now, only took shape after we got rid of the print samples and deconstructed it. The other big influence was Lou Reed, especially his New York album. Mike was aiming for this Lou Reedy guitar line, but in the process, he found something else entirely, so right here, right now sounds nothing like him at all. Back then, we were one of the first groups mixing rock guitars with samples, and people said, that's not real music. I'd been going to acid house clubs and hearing music that was entirely made up from uh, made up of samples, so I had enough youthful arrogance to, to think, don't be silly, granddad. LOL. So this is, uh, this is actually my favorite Lou Reed song from this New York album. It's called Dirty Boulevard. So this is the guitar sound that Mike Edwards was trying to emulate. Okay. Can you hear the connection between this and right here, right now? I can hear the connection between this and like some 90s music that I wouldn't have drawn a line to. Yeah, right. So this, that is true. The, this this Lou Reed record sounds like sound is a, is the sound of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like late. I think it's. I don't remember when being older. And killing the old man, but that's it was eighty nine. Okay, cool. Boulevard. Yeah, so this is like Lou Reed still doing it. On the dirty boulevard, he's going out. Like this, this inspired like Camper Van Beethoven or something. He's going down. <laughs> Take the skinheads bowling. Okay, so back to me. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Romania, Nicolae Ceausescu is, fu- is falling. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. He tripped walking he down tripped. the street. Well, a little <laughs> bit. So, so we're doing Lyrics for Lunch History Edition for the next little bit. And I'm going to tell you the story of what happened around Christmas 1989. Tell me. I had the chicken box. You had the chicken box. <laughs> no, I think that was a... Dece- December 16th, 1989. No, that was Lindsay, 90. It was 90. The chicken pox. It was okay. 100% 90. Okay. It was Lindsay first grade. A year away from the chicken <laughs> A year box. away from having the chicken box at Christmas. So remember how I said that Gorbachev allowed a decentralized government in the Soviet Union and for the Soviet republics to also start having elections, right? Right. So, this is the BBC. This is com- this is a BBC uh, a a war uh encyclopedia entry and and something else all combined. Um, Of all the revolutions that swept across Eastern Europe 30 years ago in the winter of 1989, so it's 33 years ago, uh, the overthrow of Nikolai Ceausescu and his wife Elena was the bloodiest. Few, few communist regimes had been as brutal as theirs, dominating every aspect of daily life. So Nikolai Ceausescu was a Romanian communist politician dictator, and he was the general secretary of the Romanian Communist Party from 1965 to 1989. So that's 20, Long time. 24 years. And 
he is the second and last communist leader of Romania. There was one communist leader before him. Wow. He was the country's head of state from 1967, serving as the president of the state council uh, from 1967 and from 1974, the president of the republic. So he was the president of the state council, the president of the republic, and the general secretary of the Romanian Communist Party all at the same time until 1989. Shit. So when he came into power in the late 60s he eased press censorship and he openly condemned the warsaw pact which was the a bunch of countries invading czechoslovakia and that that resulted in he was hugely popular for that right Mm -hmm. and the but the resulting period of stability was brief as his government soon became totalitarian and he was considered considered the most repressive leader in the eastern bloc oh great his secret police, which were called the Securitate, Securita- Securitate, Securitate, <laughs> uh, they, were spo- they were responsible for mass surveillance and severe repression and basic human rights abuses within the country. And they controlled the media and the press. In the 70s, due to economic mismanagement, uh, thanks to failed oil ventures, there was skyrocketing foreign debt for Romania. So Ceausescu's attempts to implement policies, uh, Ceausescu attempted to implement policies that would lead to significant growth of population, and it Such led as? to. So there is this thing called Decree Seven Seventy, and it was uh, the decree that restricted abortion and contraception, and was intended to create a new and large Romanian population. So, like you know, good, great, good stuff. Policing of women's bodies, great. Love it. So before 1967, the Romanian abortion policy was one of the most liberal in Europe. Uh, Because of the availability of contraceptive methods was poor, abortion became the foremost method of Romanian family planning. And afterwards, the number of unsafe abortions skyrocketed. If you can believe it. Right. I've never heard that before. Yeah. (laughs) Also, the number of orphans. Oh, shit. So in 82, Ceausescu directed the government to export much of the country's agricultural and industrial production to other countries in an effort to repay these debts that he had had for a decade. And these, this caused sh- food shortages in Romania, drastically lowered the living standards, and it led to heavy rationing of food, water, oil, heat, electricity, medicine, and other necessities. This guy is really fucking up. He has one job. He's awesome. He's (laughs) super, super good. But his cult of personality, because like he's fucking up so bad, his cult of personality was extremely elevated, right? There was extensive nepotism and the the deterioration of the foreign of foreign relations, even with the Soviet Union. So he's like, he's fucking up so bad that he is circling his wagons to keep himself in power and even the Soviet Union's like, dude, dude. <laughs> you need so, to chill out. On December 16th, 1989, a protest broke out on the part of the Hungarian minority in this, in this like, town called Timisoara. Okay. And th- there was a, the government had attempted to evict a Hungarian pastor named Laszlo Tokas. And Tokas had, in, Ju- in July of that year, made critical comments against the regime's uh, policies to the Hungarian television station. And he complained that the Romanians don't even know their basic human rights. 
And so the government alleged that that Laszlo Tokas, this pastor, was inciting ethnic hatred. What? Yes. And at the, and so at the behest of the government, the bishop removed Laszlo from his post, thereby depriving him of his right to use the apartment to which he was entitled as a pastor and assigned him to be a pastor like in the country somewhere. Like in the countryside? In the countryside, yeah. And so his parishioners gathered around his home, Laszlo's home, to protect him from the eviction. And there's like a lot of passersby also joined in. So the crowd, so it became pretty clear that the crowd wouldn't disperse. And the mayor of the town made some remarks suggesting that he had overturned the decision. I don't know whether why the mayor can tell the bishop not to evict this guy, but he's the mayor's like, hey, maybe let's not do this. Okay. And so subsequently, the police and the security the security forces showed up. And the protests are just like spreading now, but they're like diluting, right? So they don't, the, the original cause became irrelevant and now people are just pissed. <laughs> so riots and protests resumed the following day, which is December 17th. And the riot broke into the rioters broke into the district committee building and threw party documents, propaganda brochures, and Ceausescu's writings and other symbols of communist power out the windows. And again, the protesters attempted to set the building on fire, but they were stopped. They were stopped by like military units. But Romania didn't have riot police because Ceausescu genuinely believed that everyone loved him. No. So he never saw the need for them. Oh my god, amazing. The military was the military was sent in to control the riots because the situation was too large for his like secret police force to handle. So the significance of the army presence was an ominous one, and it meant that they had received orders from the highest level of the chain of command, presumably from Ceausescu himself, which is true. And so the army failed to establish order, and chaos ensued with gunfire, oh, fights, shit. casualties, burned cars. For and, how long? Uh, long time. <laughs> long time. Long time. So um, and armored, armored personnel carriers and tanks were called in. So things are getting out of hand. Clearly. Around 8 p.m. that night, there's this, there's this uh, place called Liberty Square, and there was an opera there. And at the opera, in, in the square in front of the opera, there was like a wild shooting. And tanks and trucks and, and armor personnel carriers were like blocking access into the city, and helicopters hovered overhead. This is in the late 80s, so like we have all the techno- basically all the technology that we have today. So after midnight, pr- protesters calm down and uh it looked like oh like a like after the aftermath of war right but we think it's we think it's all i think it's all calming down we think we we think so on december 18th the mayor mott who is the mayor of this this town that tried to un canceled the pastor yeah he ordered a party gathering to take place at the university with the purpose of condemning vandalism remember that yeah we condemn vandalism of any kind on both sides and uh <laughs> great and people he, on both sides but he also declared martial law <laughs> oh okay Pro- he prohibited people from going out in groups in larger than two people 
Very fine groups of two people. Very fine groups of two people. (laughs) So, weirdly, defying the curfew, a group of 30 men headed for the Orthodox Cathedral where they stopped and waved a Romanian flag. They took it from the Romanian communist coat of arms and they like were waving it around. They expected to be fired upon. So they wow. started so they started singing Wake Up Romanians, which was an early national anthem that had been banned since 1947. Jesus Christ. Yeah, they were indeed fired upon and some died. I'm sure. And others were seriously injured but some were able to escape. We're approaching Christmas, too. This is like not to not to be discounted. So uh, the next day, massive, like all of the factory work, not all of them, but massive columns of factory workers entered the city and 100,000 protesters occupied that op- opera square. Um, and, they, and they chanted, we are the people. They chanted, the army is on our side. And they chanted, have no fear, Ceausescu is falling. And then the Grinch came and gave them all their presents. <laughs> and then, then they went home. Um, su- surprisingly, <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> so the secretary to the Central Committee and the Prime Minister uh, were sent by Elena Ceausescu, Nikolai's wife, to like go solve the situation. Because Nikolai was in Iran. Oh. So they what met was he doing there? Just like... On start a fucking shit. yeah, starting shit. I think he was on like a a, a a diplomatic mission. So like, who the fuck knows? Okay, interesting. So they met with the delegation of protesters and accepted freeing the majority of the arrested protesters. However, they refused to comply with the protesters' main demand, which was Ceausescu's resignation. Hmm. And so they couldn't they couldn't come to terms. The next day, trains loaded with workers originating from factories in a different town arrived in Timashora. And so the regime was attempting to use them to repress the mass protest. They were like calling in scabs, right? Yeah. But after a brief encounter, they ended up joining the protesters. Oh, my God. What? One worker explained, yesterday our factory boss and a party official rounded us up in the yard, handed us wooden clubs, and told us that Hungarians and hooligans were devastating Timisoara, and it was our duty to go there and help crush the riots. But I realized that wasn't the truth. Good thing they realized it. Well, so this is the reason that I'm going so so deep into this is like, doesn't this sound familiar, guys? (laughs) Of course. Hello? Hello? Is anyone listening? McFly? So on December 18th, Ceausescu had left for Iran, but uh, upon learning of all of this shit, he came back, right? So he returned on the 20th of December, and the situation had become far worse. Oh, shit. My house is on fire. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. So (laughs) he he gave a televised speech in which he spoke about the events in Timisoara, in terms of an interference of foreign sources in Romania's internal affairs and mm. an aggression against Romanian sovereignty. I don't think so, bud. I don't think so, bud. But like the more I read on this, the more I was like, holy shit. This is like exactly, this is like just the playbook, right? This is Putin's playbook from 30 years ago. 100%. Yeah. So the country had no information on what was happening in Timisoara 
because the national media was owned by Ceausescu? Of course it was. Except they heard about it from Western radio stations like Radio Free Europe and Voice of America and by word of mouth. Sick. So on December 21st, a mass meeting was staged, but according to official media, that was presented as a spontaneous movement for support of Ceausescu. Oh, God. So December 21st, Ceausescu addresses an assembly of 100,000 people to condemn the uprising Timisoara. And party officials took great pains to make it appear that Ceausescu was still immensely popular. Several busloads of workers under threats of being fired arrived in Bucharest's Palace Square, uh, which is now called Revolution Square, if you want a little hint of where this is going. (laughs) They were given red flags, banners, large pictures of Ceausescu, and they were augmented by several bystanders who were rounded up from the street. (laughs) So... The speech was, quote, laden with Marxist-Leninist wooden language and spurting out pro-socialist and communist party rhetoric. Ceausescu delivered a litany of the achievements of the socialist revolution and Romanian multilateral developmental social strategy, but he blamed the Timisoara uprising on fascist agitators. Wow, they just really have no other ideas. Do they? they have? Yeah, it's the same <laughs> same fucking thing every time. So Shaushescu Sh- was out of touch with his people and completely misread the crowd's mood. <laughs> the people remained unresponsive, and only the front rows supported Shaushescu with cheers and applause. Eight minutes into the speech, someone in the crowd actually began to boo. <laughs> someone? Yeah, it says someone. Oh, I'm sorry. Some in the crowd. <laughs> I thought it was like one guy. You got guy. one lone booer out there. Boo! <laughs> More like Shaushesk. Boo! Freebird. Um, and that, but that reaction was considered unthinkable for most of Shaushesk's rule. And then, so things it, are really getting out of it's hand. It's bad. And then workers from Bucharest started chanting "Timo Shora, Timo Shora," and everyone in the crowd picked it up. So. In response, Ceausescu raised his right hands in hoping of silencing the, the crowd, and it didn't work. Hmm. And so he just stands there with his hand up with like a stunned expression on his face. And it says his stunned expression remains one of the most defining moments of the end of communism in Eastern Europe. Wow. He tried to placate the crowd by offering a raise to workers by about $9 per month. Nine dollars per month, you know. Yeah, that was get ten- like a Starbucks. That was a ten percent raise, though. <laughs> and student scholarships for about nine dollars. Oh my god! Yeah, really, really. But that was like their economy was like all fucked up, and uh, a revol- the revolution was brewing right in front of his eyes. So, as he was addressing the crowd from this balcony, sudden movements came from the outskirts of the assembly. And as did the sounds of f- f- maybe fireworks, maybe bombs, maybe oh guns, but it br- everything broke into chaos. And so the crowd tried to disperse, but the bullhorns ran out and spread the news that the securit- the securitat forces were firing on the crowd and a revolution was unfolding. So the, the, the people in the assembly turned into a protest 
against the security. So like now they have they have handpicked a hundred thousand of their best friends to protest against them. Right. The entire speech was broadcast live around Romania, and it's estimated by this website, at least, that 75% of the nation was watching. Oh, God, of course. So, so of course, censors as- attempted to cut the live video feed and replace it with, like, prompt communist propaganda yeah. songs, but parts of the riot had already been broadcast, and so most of the Romanian people realized that th- their country was falling. Oh, shit. So Ceausescu and his wife, as well as other officials in the in the capital, they panicked. And Ceausescu's bodyguards hustled him back inside the building. And so this is the capital. They did this at the cap. This is so stupid of him, but sure. <laughs> whatever. You're so, so now, stupid, Rose. So now there's like a hundred fifty thousand person riot in the capital and one in Timashora. Oh, and God. so Members of the crowd spontaneously began shouting anti Ceausescu slogans, which spread and became chants down with the dictator, death to the criminal. We are the people down with the dictator. Who are you? A criminal from score score which is, I guess, a place I guess I don't know. <laughs> so someplace we don't know someplace. I don't fucking know. Uh, and now it's called like fuck Ceausescuville. <laughs> But as the hours passed, more people took to the streets. Later, observers claimed that even at this point, Shashescu had been willing to talk. He might have been able to salvage something, right? But instead, he decided to use force. And so the protesters, who were unarmed and unorganized, were confronted by soldiers and tanks and armored personnel vehicles and uh, anti-terrorist troops, anti-terrorism squads. Once again, I also, I'm not just talking about Russia. Like we do this shit too. Oh, the yeah, anti-terrorism 100%. squads. Yeah. Um, the crowd was soon being shot at from various buildings and side streets and tanks, and there were a ton of casualties. People were shot, clubbed to death, stabbed, crushed by armored vehicles. One uh, armored personnel vehicle drove into a crowd around the Intercontinental Hotel, crushing people. A French oh, journalist was killed. Oh my god! Yeah, a French journalist was killed, Jean-Louis Calderon, and a street was named after him afterwards um, because of his like heroism or whatever. So by 10 a.m. This oh, is God. It's this 10 a.m. now. This is 10 a.m. <laughs> so the radio broadcast was announcing the introduction of martial law and a ban on groups in larger than five people. Yet hundreds of thousands of people were gathering for the for the first time spontaneously in central Bucharest. Um, and so Ceausescu attempted to address the crowd from the balcony again. Didn't work. Helicopters spread manifestos. <laughs> what luck. So they, <laughs> so they have these manifestos in helicopters that they're going to drop leaflets from. But they didn't reach the crowd because of unfavorable winds. The winds just oh, like God. blew them blew away. Them away. <laughs> but uh, the pamphlets were instructing people not to fall victim to the latest diversion attempts, but to go home instead and enjoy Christmas. Oh. This order... Which drew fa- <laughs> this this order drew unfavorable comparisons to Marie Antoinette's "Let them eat cake," which is not real, but still, because it infuriated people who didn't read the who did read the manifestos because they didn't have they they couldn't afford food. Yeah, I can't enjoy Christmas. Go home and enjoy your Christmas feast, and they couldn't 
they couldn't have they didn't have any food or cooking oil. So Dece- the next day, December 22nd, at 9.30 in the morning, Vasily Milia, who is Ceausescu's minister of defense, died under suspicious circumstances. Okay. okay. So accounts differ on how he died. His family and several other officers believe that he had been shot by his shot in his own office by the Securitate forces, Securitate forces. And another group believes that he had committed suicide. And in 2005, the investigation concluded that he shot himself in his heart, but the bullet missed and hit a nearby artery and led to his death shortly afterwards. Ew, what? So shoot themselves in the heart? I don't fuck it. He's just like Romania forever and fucking fuck that up too. Unfavorable wins. (laughs) So meanwhile, after... His second failed attempt to address the crowd, Shashescu and his wife Elena fled to an elevator, headed for the roof, and a group of protesters managed to force their way into the building, overpower his bodyguards, and make their way through his office before heading onto the balcony. L- they didn't know that they were only just like 15 feet from Shashescu. <laughs> The, uh, the elevator's electricity failed before it reached the top floor. Convenient. And Ceausescu's bodyguards forced it open and ushered the couple onto the roof. So they, they get in a helicopter, right? Ceausescu's mm-hmm. pilot, who's Vas- Vasily Malutan, receives instructions from a lieutenant general to pick up the president and like take him to safety. And so he lands on the top of the Capitol building and a man brandishing a white curtain from one of the windows waves him down. And it's Ceausescu. This is his quote. The pilot, the co-pilot came to me and said that, they, that there were demonstrators coming to the terrace. And the Ceausescus came out, both practically carried by their bodyguards. They looked as if they were fainting. They were white with terror. One of the vice presidents was running behind him. And another securitate officer scrambled to the four seats in the back. As I pulled the Ceausescu in, I saw the demonstrators running across the terrace. There wasn't enough space. Elena Ceausescu and I were squeezed in between the chairs and the door. We were only supposed to carry four passengers and we had six. So so they gonna get thrown off. (laughs) Worse. Weirder. Weirder. So according to this this pilot or this guy that was talking, um I think he's a co-pilot it was about noon when they left for this town called Snagov. And when they arrived there, Ceausescu took Malutan, this guy, into the presidential suite and ordered him to get two helicopters filled with soldiers for an armed guard and, and a further like personnel carrier to come to Snagov to protect them. And so he called, Malutan calls his commander on the phone and the phone said, the guy on the phone says, there has been a revolution. You are on your own. Good luck. Oh, God. So Malutin then says to Ceausescu that the second motor of the helicopter was warmed up. They need to leave soon. They could only take four people. And so they leave the two vice presidents behind. And Ceausescu orders them to head for another town called Titu. Just abandoning people. Yeah. So Malutin says that he dipped the heli as they're on their way to Titu, he dips the helicopter up and down. He's going like this on purpose. And he lies to Ceausescu and says this was to avoid anti-aircraft fire since they would now be in range. But Ceausescu panicked and told him to land. So he lands in a field on like an old dirt road. 
Okay. <laughs> and Malu, Malu, Maluten is like, I got nothing. I can't do anything else. I'm sorry. I'm done and here. I'm done here. And so this, the Securitat, the Securitat men run to the roadside and they flag down a passing car. Two cars were flagged down. One is a forestry official and one is a local doctor. The local doctor was not keen to get involved. And after a short time driving the Shaushescu's, he faked engine trouble. <laughs> so then they flagged down a bicycle repairman. Repairman. Uh, repairman. <laughs> and they go to a, a town called Targoviste. So he's running. He's running, running, running. So the driver, this bicycle repairman guy, his name is Nikolai Petrizor. He convinced them that he could successfully hide them in an agricultural technical college on the edge of town, right? Okay. I know this place. Yeah. Well, I can hide you. So when they arrived, the director guide the director of the program guided the Shaushescu's into a room and locked them in. And set the building on fire. <laughs> While the police, they were arrested by the local police at about 3.30 p.m. And then after some wandering around, they were transported to the military compound and held captive for several days until their trial. Their trial was held on Christmas. Aww. It lasted for about two hours. Oh, shit. Delivered death sentences for Elena and Nikolai Shaushescu. Oh. What did she do? Uh, I don't know. She's like probably, the... Probably she's involved. Lot. Probably a lot. <laughs> yeah. Although, nominally, the Shaushescu's did have the right of appeal, their execution followed immediately on the spot. Holy shit. They were carried out by paratroopers and executed by firing squad. Oh. <gasps> Which is now legal in the Carolinas. Oh, great. This is on December 25th, 1989. Love it. In January 1989, Jesus Jones goes to play in Romania. Oh, all right. So this is Mike Edwards in The Guardian. We went to play in Romania just after the fall of the Ceausescu regime and his execution. We saw bullet holes in all the buildings. It looked like a place that had been a in a war. People there had the saying, we couldn't trust the pillow we slept on because the secret police had been everywhere. The country was emerging out of a tunnel, which is exactly what I was singing about in right here, right now. Really? That's what he said. <laughs> there are conflicting reports as to whether he had finished writing the song before Shaushescu's fall or after, but he's like, ah, I was, I was finished the song and like, this is, this is, I like saw this and like, that's what it's all about, man. I don't know. Uh, so let's do a quick lyrics deep dive. Let's. So overall, the meaning is about the fall of the Iron Curtain, fall of Shaushescu's regime. The story is wild. It is. Um, but let's take a look at the lyrics once again. So okay. just the first, let's do the first verse. A woman on the radio talks about revolution. So... The woman on the radio talking about revolution is likely not just a reference to what's happening in Eastern Europe, but also the Tracy Chapman song talking about a revolution. <laughs> Would you like to hear some Tracy Chapman? Would love to. You got a fast car. We'll do a fast car episode one I day. got a, a plan to get us out of here. Is that, is that real? Been working at a convenience store. Think, yeah. I think you're just making shit up Manager saved just a little bit of money. <laughs>
So this song came out in 1988. So okay. if if he's listening to the radio in 1989, yeah, t- the woman on the radio singing about a revolution, you know. Okay, so uh, Bob Dylan didn't have to sing about this. Is a reference to these are are all from song facts, by the way. Uh, Bob Dylan have to didn't have to sing about this though bob dylan was and still is technically active the use of the past tense here reveals that they're talking about the 60s era dylan singing like the times they are a change in and other songs inspired by the turmoil of the 60s and he's saying like whoa it's so much worse now than it was in the 60s bob dylan never had to sing about this really i guess so when did the hurricane come out (laughs) the hurricane came out in the 60s The, the song Hurricane. Drop the the. Oh, it's 1976. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> the 60s and the 70s are the same decade. Mm. You heard it here first. Um, and then toward the end of the lyrics, it says, I saw a decade end when it seemed the world could change at the blink of an eye. And if anything, there's your sign of the times is a reference to the Prince song, Sign of the Times. And like a rejection of it. Like, ha ha ha, there's, things aren't that bad. But I don't, I didn't, I didn't, and I still don't understand what was the sign of the times that he's referring to in this song. The decade Uh, changed? Well, the sign of the times being that we're like coming back together, that communism is falling and we can all be happy. The song reflected optimism felt around the world. This is song facts. The song reflected optimism felt around the free world as nations came together. A good indicator of this attitude is the doomsday clock. Are you are you familiar with the doomsday clock? Yes. So it's run by the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists to indicate to indicate how close the world may be to nuclear destruction at any given time. At nineteen forty in nineteen forty seven, the clock was seven minutes to midnight, and then in nineteen fifty three, when the U.S. and the Soviet Union tested nuclear devices, the clock reached two minutes to midnight as nuclear war loomed. Tensions eased in the 70s and the clock moved back. The Cold War brought it back to three minutes in 1984. And then in 1991, the U.S. and the USSR signed the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, or START, um, after the fall of the Soviet Union and destroyed many nuclear weapons. And the clock was moved back to 17 minutes before midnight. So... I think probably since the advent of that clock, it was like the the furthest to midnight it had ever been, right? <laughs> In 2007, it was at five minutes to midnight. As of this month, the doomsday clock is 100 seconds to midnight. It is? Yes. Shut up. And it was not... So with the, with the aggression toward the Ukrainians by russia that actually didn't move the clock at all because the atomic the bulletin of atomic scientists don't think that putin is going to use nuclear weapons but they're like oh yeah this sucks but it's not going to be nuclear war it's going to be some other kind of war interesting yeah a hundred seconds which i think is probably the closest that it's ever been i don't know I, i don't know about maybe during the cuban missile crisis or something um so Remember how you said, hey, is this about the Gulf War? Yeah. 
So according to the book, The Last Party, which is Britpop Blair and the Demise of English Rock by John Harris, this song was written about the fall of the Iron Curtain, but it was taken up as an anthem by bomber pilots during the first Gulf War. Oh, God. So what are your th- what are your thoughts on that? It was taken up as an anthem by bomber pilots. Uh-huh. Well, whatever helps you get through the day, I guess. Yeah, he's like right near right panowing Iraqi's legs off. It's fucked up. Yeah, it is. I just feel very disturbed and now that uh image is never going to go away. It's uh not going to get better. <laughs> So in America, this is by far the best known song by Jesus Jones, but they did have another big hit with a follow-up single called Real, 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 which went to number four in the UK. Um, Let's take a listen to Real, Real, Real. So this is from the same album. Okay. Which was called Doubt. Doubt, yeah. It sounds like Soundgarden, right? But I, I definitely need this song. No, it sounds like that song that's like, I know what you want. Is that not this song? No, I think that's Soundgarden. Ooh, I want you. I don't know if I need you. Yeah, th- I thought that was this. <laughs> no. Well, whoops. What song is that? Let's find Savage out. Savage Garden. Savage, Savage Garden. Garden, not Soundgarden. Might not be. Soundgarden. <laughs> but that song is 1997. Oh, they so stole it. Six years after, yeah. I literally, I was like, yeah, I know this song. It's that song. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so I don't know this song at all. No. <laughs> all right. Well, moving on. <laughs> uh, back to the Guardian, Ian Baker, who's the keyboardist. I vividly remember the grotty bedsit in Chapter Road near Dollis Hill in London where Mike started the song. There was a bed and a chest of drawers and a coffee table piled high with musical equipment, a fireplace stacked with cassette tapes and a poster for the movie Subway, the Luc Besson film starring Isabella Ajani. Don't know that one. Okay. Yeah. What a weird reference, but sure. (laughs) It was the last place you'd imagine a gangly 24-year-old bloke to come up with a song that played a role in two U.S. elections. What? In 1992... We suddenly started getting all these calls and faxes telling us that Bill Clinton was using Right Here, Right Now as his campaign song. No. Yes. No. I couldn't find I couldn't find footage. I looked. God damn it. Then in two thousand seven, Hillary Clinton started using it in her campaign mm. as well. No. Well, she did the Macarena. She did do the Macarena. <laughs> Quote, looking back, it's brilliant but ridiculous. I remember calling Mike and saying to him, I'm pretty sure their car stereo is knackered and now our CD got stuck in there. So so when they needed a campaign song, it was the only one that they knew. Oh my God. Hilarious. The song was also used by Joe Clark 
in an unsuccessful campaign for the leadership of the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada in 1998 and by candidate Gerald Kennedy at the 2006 Liberal Party Leadership Convention in Canada. Oh, Canada. Yep. What's the next line of that song? We spread our grace on thee. (laughs) Oh, Canada, we spread our grace on thee. Is... (laughs) kind of sexy <laughs> oh my god i don't know what is it our home and native land <laughs> our home and native land tune in next week for our <laughs> lyrics for lunch on i guess the canadian national anthem <laughs> was it on that 70s show there's like some scene with ashton kutcher where they're like get they go to like jail crossing the border and they have to sing oh canada that sounds about right i don't know if it's a movie or if it's just that 70s show back to song facts (laughs) mike edwards told the guardian in 2003 with hits around the world we became famous for a few years at the start of 1990 i wrote right here right now a title i disliked but and intended to change before the final recording 13 years later i'm still making a living from that title even if fat boy slim's identically titled song may have eaten into my action what song is that (laughs) that's right there's another song called right here right now and that's the song i thought i was doing for today confusion oh really so let's take a listen to fat boy slim's right here right now so when we were making all of those Right paneer, right now puns. You were thinking of Fatboy Slim. I I was actually uh, I thought that it was one song. Weird. I do not like this jellyfish. It's like the evolution of time or whatever. It's a dance track. It's a big beat song. Okay, so real quick. Norman Quentin Cook, also known as Fatboy Slim, is an English musician and DJ and a record producer. You might know him from this song, from Rockefeller's Gang, Praise You, Weapon of Choice. Lots of hits, right? Yeah. And so last episode... This song came out in 1999. Last episode, I had mentioned that Right Here, Right Now samples a Catherine Bigelow movie called Strange Days. And that came out in 1995. 
And so when I was reading up on the Jesus Jones right here right now, I was like, how did it come out in 1990 when I know for a fact Mm. it samples the Catherine Bigelow movie? Different song. Different song. So Strange Days is a 1995 Catherine Bigelow movie about we're in the near future in LA and people get high or get their kicks off of watching recordings of other people's memories so you can you can record your memory into a little disc and someone else can plug it into their whatever and like experience your memory and someone witnesses a crime a la rodney king records it and this guy who's like a junkie former cop gets a hold of this of this tape and needs to figure out what to do with it um this movie fucking rules and it's not available on streaming but we can watch the little clip of angela bassett saying this is your life right here right now what's that movie that just like basically ripped off this entire plot that just came out with what's her face the matrix no kimmy yeah i like kimmy was okay kimmy like takes place in like now this is like the way that the memory works is like you like literally plug it into your brain. So it's like, it's a little bit more sci-fi than Kimmy. Well, and there was a Black Mirror episode with where they very, were recording. The very memories. similar. Yeah, it's also similar to the to a movie called Johnny Mnemonic, which is not very good, which came out the same year, I think. But this movie f- fucking rips. It is so good. It is directed by Catherine Bigelow, produced by James Cameron. They like invented a 3D camera system to to like make the movie it's awesome but here's a clip uh from strange days going you're gonna get yourself killed for this for this toxic waste bitch what the fuck are you doing this is your life right here right now it's real time you hear me real time time to get real not playback so they just took her saying right here right now yeah so that was sampled by Fatboy slim her saying right here right now but this entire movie is a metaphor is an allegory for rodney king right he gets a hold of this rodney king as tape she's trying to convince him to go to the police he a former cop knows that he will be fucking killed if he goes public the the bad cop is played by um tom sizemore yeah, the movie's amazing. And so in the scene, Angela Bass is trying to convince him to like do the right thing and go public as opposed to living in his own memories and the memories of his like dead wife. Um, but the interesting thing is the decade began with one right here, right now, talking about the fall of communism and kind of doing a, a rose-colored glasses version of Prince's Sign of the Times, which is very bleak, right? Right. And the decade ended with Fatboy Slim sampling a movie about Rodney King and police brutality. Right. And like that to me is a truer adaptation of Sign of the Times than what Jesus Jones did. Even though it's just one word. Right here, right now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I, I could get there. Yeah. So Jesus Jones is still together. And the headline of their website says, Jesus Jones, no, we didn't split up. Jesus Jones. Jesus Jones. Still kicking it. Uh, a single, the, the single 
right here right now the jesus jones version is featured as a playable song in the video game donkey conga and a cover version was recorded by our old friends alvin and the chipmunks oh yes so that's what we're gonna go out on this week the alvin and the chipmunks (laughs) version of right here right now where can people find us on the internet Lindsay? find us on the internet at lyrics for lunch on instagram and twitter and at lyricsforlunch.com and for longer and weirder stuff if you if there is a third version of there's a third song called right here right now by kylie minogue and Giorgio Moroder that was not super interesting but if you find it if you have a fun fact about that song or any other song let us know we're at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com definitely spread the word if you like the show and give us a rate and review wherever you get your podcasts i'm overwhelmed by these chipmunks <laughs> me too and it's always the video game it is it is yeah it's like their <laughs> guitar hero or whatever um and tune in next week when for our 50th episode i think we're gonna have a very special guest yeah i was gonna ask you about that that's it's, happening I, I talked to him yeah it's, it's all happening he's, i think he's gonna do it from memory which is like he will very easily be able to do. Okay. But yeah, it's gonna be a, a real fucking good one. Are we gonna tell them what it is or no? No, no. I don't. I don't want to. Just in case. Just, just in, case. in case it's not doesn't happen. Okay. Um. So until next time, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying, right here, 